Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Uh, we will be in, uh, in Jude. And I won't try to trick anybody and say Jude chapter 2. It's important to point out here that Jude... Um, this this book has come to be known as the Act of the Apostates. You got the Book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. The Book of Jude is the Acts of the Apostates. And the reason that I say that is a lot of the examples, or every one of the examples that he gives in here, are examples from the Old Testament of uh, individuals who were not faithful when it came to um, when it came to people who were in situations that they that they should have defended the Lord. Um, now, to be fair, does the Lord need to be offended, defended? I mean, he himself doesn't need to be defended, right? Here's what I would say about that, though. He does not need to be defended, but the faith on a fallen world does need to be defended. Um, God doesn't have anybody who has the ability to overpower him. Nobody's more majestic than he is. Um, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's capable of doing anything that he wants to. He's even capable of forcing people to come to know him. But he chose not to do things that way. He chose to allow individuals to make their own choices and decide whether they were going to be people who were going to trust him or people who were not going to trust him. So um, we're going to find in this particular book, and it's, it's really, even though, it's a, even though you could call it the act of the apostates, um, you could probably more clearly say that Jude's number one point in this whole thing is contending for the faith, contending for Christ, being a contender for Christ. Um, I'm not being prophetic by saying this by any means. Anybody who has eyes and has their eyes open know that this world is, is, is not only on a downhill slide, but it's picking up speed. Um, Christians are now um, on social media because of, because of the boldness that is created through social media now. Christians are actually being banned from these social media sites. If somebody posts something about Jesus, somebody posts something about about sinfulness and people needing to be forgiven for those sins. Um, I was on two sites uh, that were, both of them were basically a, a conversation room where Christians could have conversations with atheists. Nobody ever said anything that was mean to each other. It was always an extremely respectful room. Um, people said that I'm atheist because, and Christians would say, well, I'm Christian because, and they would get in some pretty deep discussions about why atheists said they were atheists and why Christians said they were Christians. Extremely knowledgeable conversations. Both of those sites have been taken down off of Facebook. They've been removed. Um, we're going to see more and more of this happen. Uh, so I have a question for you. How many of you are ready and I'm not talking about in the faith at this point, how many of you are ready at any given moment to defend yourself? Are aware of your surroundings, paying attention to threats? 
I hope everybody is. Because it takes no time for someone to sneak up on you. Um, it is no secret that I'm a CCW permit holder and that I do con- conceal carry. And, and when, when we took the, the class, the guy told me, he said, he said, this is going to change the way you look at things. And that's the one thing from this point forward, once you start carrying, that you will not leave your house without. And sure enough, over the last 10 years, the one thing that's in my mind is, if I ever left at home, that would be the one time that somebody would physically threaten me or my family. That would be the one time that I would need it. Well, most Christians don't walk through the world with their eyes open. Most Christians don't walk through the world paying attention to their surroundings. And I say most Christians, here's, here's my point. How many of you guys have ever gone through those spurts in your life where church really became the sum total of Christianity? Meaning, you know, you were attentive about Christianity when you're sitting in church. But then when you get home, have you ever gotten in those spurts where you forgot to pray? Where you went to bed at night and went to sleep and just didn't think about it? That's an example of not paying attention to our surroundings. Because when do people need prayer? All the time. People need prayer all the time. It, it's not something that we as individuals, if, if, if we grow, if we grow uh, relaxed in our surroundings, then we become individuals who are not aware of the needs that are around us. Not only the needs that are around us, but the threats that are around us. I believe in some cases people take it, without me going into it too far, people take it too far. Um, they become so scared of the world that they don't want to be in the world. Uh, the Bible has said that we are in the world, but not to be of the world. Which means we should be out amongst the lost. We should be out amongst the threat, but we cannot be individuals who, one, hide ourselves from the threat, or two, refuse to have the courage to stand up for the faith, to stand up for the truth. Um, I'll tell you now, I'm... This far, for those of you that are in the car, I'm holding my fingers as small as I can hold them without touching them together from deleting Facebook. Just get rid of it. Because it's become a propaganda tool. Not a propaganda tool for politics. Yeah, politics is part of the conversation, but it's not a propaganda tool for for politics. It's a propaganda tool for Satan. You say, well, I don't have it like that. Well, I'm not asking you to delete it. I'm saying my conviction is growing more and more to delete it. Because I see it becoming more and more um, a tool of Satan. And if you get thrown in Facebook jail every time you say something that's right, then what's the use of even having it? Pushing information that's anti-Christian, restricting information that's Christian. What's the benefit? Facebook makes money off of every time I open that app. And essentially, what I feel like I'm telling them when I open Facebook is that I'm completely okay with your actions. Should I be? No, I shouldn't be. In Jude chapter 1, which there is only one chapter, made it simple, verse 1, 
It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Um, now we know that we know that this is Jesus's half brother. We know this because throughout this entire letter, when you read it, um, James actually talks about the apostles, but doesn't include himself as one. Now, any of the epistles that you read, if someone's an apostle, they call themselves an apostle. Jude does not call himself an apostle. <clears throat> we also know that he gives. Uh, reference to Jerusalem um, and that reference to Jerusalem was Jude was um, a leader basically of the Christian leaders in Jerusalem and Jude talks about that now why didn't he call himself the brother of Jesus well it shows that he actually understands who Jesus really is he was the half brother of Jesus but he didn't announce himself as the half brother of Jesus uh, because he understood that Jesus, even though he was a human being, he's nobody's half-brother. He was God. He is God. But at that point in time, um, James understood him to be who he was. Now, it's important for us to, to point out that he calls himself a bondservant. And that word bondservant, you've heard me talk about that several times before. He calls himself a slave. Um, so this shows that that Jude has completely and totally submitted himself to Jesus Christ. Uh, totally submitted himself, meaning a bondservant, I am bound to do what it is that Jesus Christ uh, has called me to do, what it is that Jesus Christ has asked me to do. I am bound to do it. Um, I've said many times before that all the way up to the point that we trust in Christ, we have free will. At the point we trust in Christ, it's supposed to be his will. We're not supposed to have free will once we trust in Christ. Now, there's a lot of Christians who have free will after they come to know Jesus Christ. And that's a relationship that's a mediocre relationship. It's a relationship where people understand that they have an option whether they're going to follow what Jesus says or not. Um, does a bondservant have an option? A bondservant has no option. They are bound to be faithful and obedient to the one that they serve. Um, he, he, uh, he goes on, uh, read verse 1 again. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Those who are the called, those who are genuinely believers, is who he's addressing this letter to. And he qualifies an individual who is the called uh, by them being uh, individuals who are beloved in God the Father <clears throat> and kept for Jesus Christ. It says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. It was popular during that time. It was a popular greeting for individuals uh, to greet uh, with mercy and peace. It was not common for individuals to throw the word love in there. Uh, the word love being put into that greeting was something that was made popular by Christians themselves. Uh, so when he says mercy, peace, and love, um, when you think about this, it, it's not typically something that you would greet somebody with. You know, I hope that you have peace. I hope that you have mercy. But people typically don't say, I hope that you have love. Um, I guess this may be a Jefferson County thing because I don't hear it a whole lot anywhere else. But how many of you guys say, hey, have a good one? That's basically mercy and peace. Have a good one. Um, but for someone to have love multiplied to them, um, is bringing the attention to uh, to us as individuals that are not only trying to 
um, extend mercy and peace to individuals around us, but we're also individuals who are trying to start to uh, extend love. Love's not a uh, love's not a noun; it's a verb. Um, so he's basically saying uh, that that uh, that his prayer is that they would have love shown to them. Um, now it's important to point out that at the time that Jude was written. Jerusalem had not been destroyed, or at least it's believed that Jerusalem had not been destroyed. It was during the political um, the political explosion that happened just before. Uh, we know because of the historical setting and because the fact that he doesn't mention Jerusalem being destroyed uh, that it was that uh, Peter had written First Peter um, around the same time that Jude wrote this letter, but Jerusalem had not been destroyed at this point. But again, the political atmosphere had already uh, been bubbling for a while that would eventually see Jerusalem just destroyed. So we're talking just previous to 70 AD, the time that this was actually written. So it's important for us to realize that the contention that was going on at that time, um, the tension itself that was going on in that political atmosphere was pretty radical. Um, so, uh, you know, the, may mercy, peace, and, and love be multiplied to you uh, this was a time where there was a whole lot of hate being spoken. Sound familiar? Boy, we are right in the middle of a whole lot of hate being spoken in where we live in right now. Um, they call it the cancel culture. If you don't believe what somebody else believes, then you just need to crawl in a hole somewhere and die. Because how dare you uh, have a mind of your own and think something that's completely opposite of what someone else thinks. You're just not allowed to do that. Um, verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I found this verse very interesting because if you look at it again, Jude actually tells us what his intention was when he picked up the pen. And then he says how his intention changed. In verse 3, he says again, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. So what was the theme of this letter supposed to be about? Salvation. The common salvation. He sat down to write a letter to be, to be shared with individuals that was going to be talking about salvation in Christ. And then he says, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you, that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is one of the verses where you see the intervention of the Holy Spirit that worked through the hands of Jude. Jude, intending to sit down and write one thing, but then the Spirit moved him to change the topic to something entirely different, which was contending for the faith. Now, if we're individuals who are contenders, and I mentioned a while ago, you know, how, how aware are you of your surroundings? Um, as Christians, to be a contender, um, you have a uh, probably the best context that we that we use this in in, mo- in the modern day is boxing. If uh, if someone holds the belt, and the holder of the belt has a contender, can anybody just walk in off the street and say, "Hey, I want to take that guy on." They can't. That doesn't make them a contender. A contender is what sells tickets, okay? Because a lot of people won't pay just to watch some guy off the street get knocked out by one punch from the person who holds the belt. Um, I used to, I remember when I was younger and 
Uh, my dad was uh, still alive, and Mike Tyson, I don't remember who he was fighting, but he was fighting somebody, and everybody. I think he even paid for the pay-per-view because he wanted to see. And my dad didn't do that. He didn't do pay-per-view. He paid the pay-per-view to watch this boxing match between Mike Tyson and, I can't, again, I can't remember who the guy was that he was boxing. And, I mean, it was round one. Ding, whack. Mike Tyson hit this guy one time and knocked him out cold. And dad was like, I paid that money for that. <laughs> Apparently, the guy who climbed in the ring was Mike Tyson was not a contender. He, he could not even come close to threatening Mike Tyson's belt. Well, what kind of shape are we in? Contending earnestly for the faith. Is the faith on trial? In every individual's heart on this planet, the faith is on trial. And if we're going to be individuals who are going to be contenders for the faith, that means that those who have assumed authority, that they know better than we do, individuals are supposed to be worthy to challenge that, to challenge it. You know, one of the best examples that I think that, that I can use is Jehovah's Witnesses. Most cases, Jehovah's Witness pulls up, walks to the door, what do people do? Is that contending for the faith? I mean, you're talking about not a denomination. You're talking about a religion. A religion that strips the deity from Jesus Christ. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the, I'm going to put a capital S on the front of son, of God. They believe he's a son of God, but they also believe that you are too. They believe that you are equal to Jesus Christ in creation. The only reason that they say that Jesus has the power of salvation is because God gave him the power of salvation, which is equally equal to say that if God would have picked you, Elaine, you could have been the savior of the entire world. Is that right? No, that's not right at all. But when they come to our door, what do we do? We don't answer it. We'll hide. We'll turn the lights off. We'll close the blinds. We'll give them a few minutes to leave. And it took me a while to figure this out, but I started scratching my head one day, and I was like, wait a minute. We're supposed to share the gospel to the lost. For some reason, most believers find it way too difficult to walk outside of their house and to find a non-believer in the world. Here God sends a non-believer to our front door. And what do we do? I'll share a little secret with you. I love when Jehovah's Witnesses come to visit. I will answer the door. I will try to get them to take a cup of water. I will try to get them... I'll make them a cup of coffee if I can lock them in for an extra few minutes. Because those are perfect opportunities to contend for the faith. How many of you guys have ever had somebody say something contrary to Christianity and didn't say anything back just because you didn't really want to get involved in something? We've done it. We've done it. We've been called to be the people that extend 
the salvation and the hand of Christ in the world that we live in. And there is a force that is a powerful force that is doing everything in its power to work against that. That power, that force, didn't want to see you come to know Christ. And just as much, don't want to see anyone else come to know Christ either. But how will they hear if there is no preacher? You say, well, you're the preacher. But I'm not. I'm a pastor who preaches. Is the call to preach only for pastors? Do you know what preaching is? Sharing the truth of God with authority, with passion. Jesus is the only one that has the power to save. Is that a true statement? Will anybody who does not believe that spend an eternity in hell? Should I be able to walk up to somebody and to be able to tell them, look, I don't know what you've been told in your past, and I don't know who told it to you, but if anybody told you anything any different than the fact that Jesus Christ is the only source of salvation, they lied to you. We don't have to be contentious. I had a class not too, well, it's been a while now. Probably need to have another one. But I had a class about how to be a Christian who doesn't close the door. By Christian that doesn't close the door, I mean, I told you the story about the guy that first time I, t- I took him out, he was excited to learn. And I went to the first three doors and he went to the next one, a big old guy dressed in leather. And he pokes him in the chest and says, without Jesus, you're going to hell. And I just turned around and got back in the car. I wasn't sure if he was coming back to the car. But I just turned around and got back, got back in the car. Because it's important that we contend, but it's also important that we contend in love. Um, little little things that, that some people wouldn't think about. Like, how many, of you guys, uh, how many of you guys appreciate when somebody tells you you're wrong? That'll close the conversation, conversation down real quick, won't it? So we don't use the word wrong. So if I walk up to somebody and say, what if I told you you were wrong? I just closed the door on the conversation, right? If not, I started the swing on the door being closed on the conversation, right? You know what would be better? For me to walk up and, and walk up to someone and say, what would you do if you were to find out that what you were told was untrue? Blame's not put on the person. The blame's put on whoever told the person could still be offensive, but not nearly as offensive as me just walking up and telling somebody they're wrong. It's the same thing that I was talking about with the kids a while ago. How we deal with people is extremely important. But dealing with people in an extremely important way is necessary when we're contending for the faith. One of the hardest things, I can tell you this, as someone who has witnessed to a whole slew of people in my years of Christianity, I can tell you this. The biggest struggle is keeping them engaged in the conversation. If there is any offense, they will walk away. For some people, and folks, people are extremely sensitive these days about Christianity. Sometimes it takes no more than knocking on a door. They open it, and you say, hey, um, we're in the community, um, canvassing the community, and, and, and I just want to know if I could ask you a few questions. 
um, do you attend church anywhere? Well, why didn't I start off with, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? More times than not, we'll get the door slammed in your face. If I say, do you attend church anywhere? Now I'm talking about whether they attend church or not. And in our culture, there are even things that you can say to people that aren't offensive that you would think might be offensive. Catholics, I believe that there will be a bunch of Catholics that I'll stand arm to arm with when we go to heaven. I believe that there will also be a lot of Baptists who think that they will, but they won't be. But I've knocked on doors and Catholics open the door. You attend church anywhere? Yeah, we're Catholic. Are you a good Catholic or a bad Catholic? They know what that means. And they're very willing to share that information. To them, that's not an offensive statement. They will tell you whether they're a good Catholic, what makes a good Catholic. Well, do they attend Mass? Do they go to confession? Uh, do they give money to their church? These are requirements that the Catholic Church actually makes people qualify as good Catholics if they follow the rules. If they're not rule followers, they're not good Catholics. And they'll tell you, nope, I'm a bad Catholic. But engaging people in these conversations is necessary. I think we live in a world now where it's less necessary to knock on people's doors. Matter of fact, I think that it's downright dangerous in some cases to knock on people's doors. But it doesn't mean that we don't take advantage of opportunities when opportunities arise. And in this day and age, how many opportunities are there for us to contend for the faith? They are everywhere. They're everywhere. We have to be people who are ready to do this. And there's reasons that Jude gives for this. I realize I'm running out of time, but I want to get through some of these. Verse 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you guys have ever heard somebody say, Well, that's just so-and-so. Is that an excuse? Do we believe the truth or do we not believe the truth? Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's not only going to happen. It is happening already. The term church is transforming before our very eyes. The world is creeping into the church. Is it creeping into Highland? Not that I've seen yet. But why is that? Because we're a church that believes the truth. If we believe the truth, we need to stand on that truth. Which means we need to hold each other accountable. And we need to not be offended when we do hold each other accountable because we're Christians. Again, do you believe under any circumstances that I have any ill will or intent towards any person who's in this church? So if I come to you with a concern, do you think my intentions are to harm you? And as far as I know, with anybody who's in this church, you have all of the best intentions towards me. So why would I be offended if somebody came to me and asked me a question because they thought that I was doing something that wasn't right? Do you know what that does? Like iron sharpens iron. Like iron sharpens iron. One man's countenance sharpens another. Countenance. The biblical word for accountability. What happens in order for iron to sharpen iron? 
little pieces of iron have to come off, don't they? And in order for little pieces of iron to come off, guess what there has to be at least a little bit of? Friction. Friction. Iron will never sharpen iron without friction. It's impossible. Not only friction, but abrasive friction is necessary. So somebody walks in this church living an unrepentant homosexual lifestyle. They walk up front and say, I want to join this church. You know how many churches in this country have said, well, you know, we really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. People for a long time thought that Baptists were just cruel because we would stop people from joining the church. It's not a matter of being cruel. You open the door to any sin that's an active, unrepentant sin, how does that affect the church? Guess what we're having next Sunday night? A business meeting. Guess who has the right to vote in those business meetings? Members. Non-members can't vote in those business meetings. Only members can vote in those business meetings. Why do you suppose they put that protection in there a hundred years ago? Do you want somebody who's in an unrepentant gambling debt, gambling attitude to come in here and have say in the business meeting? Or how about one person more than everybody else having that type of control over our budget? That'd be good. If we're found out as a church that just accepts people in active sin, and I use the example of, of unrepentant homosexuality, if one one couple was allowed to come to this church and become members, do you think that we would become all of a sudden a magnet for people who are in an unrepentant sin of homosexuality? And then they quickly outnumber us too. What do the business meetings look like now? What does the policies of this church look like now? What does the church become? So we have to be a church who says, I love you, but you're in open sin. And because you're in a sin that you refuse to admit it's a sin and you refuse to deal with, we can't let you be a member of this church. You notice every time that somebody comes forward and we're going to baptize somebody, if it's a decision that they make that day, I don't just stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, let's have a motion for them that they become a member. What do I do first? We're going to talk to them. I'm going to sit them down in my office, and I'm going to find out their life's history, and I'm going to find out their testimony when it comes to how they come to know Jesus Christ, and I'm going to find out what their life looked like after that before I even come close to exposing this church to the potential threat of someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But it shouldn't just be the preacher doing that, folks. It should be every one of us doing that. And we had better bolden up. Because if we don't, this church will turn into the majority of churches in this world. And I've told you before, this is going to be the hardest church. This type of church is going to be the hardest church to grow. Why? Because people prefer to come into church, have somebody tickle their ears, let them live life however they want to live it, 
and just be happy with it. We have a case, we had one case of adultery in this church since I've been here. I literally had people at that time who were in the church, not here anymore, but who were in that church who told me I should have turned my head and looked the other way. These were people who held positions in this church, high positions. And I paid a price for three years beyond that because I demanded, after they refused, to repent. I demanded that they hand in their resignations. We had better become a church that is bold enough to stand on the truth. That is what a contender of the faith is. We can't lose focus of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. We still have to love people. We still have to share the gospel with people. We still have to be that picture of who Jesus Christ is to the world. But folks, loving people is not helping them along their way to hell. It's not. I was in high school at a, bar, at a, at a party where kids were drinking. You were considered someone who wasn't somebody's friend if you took their keys away. Who was the better friend? The one who took the keys away or the one who didn't? The one who took the keys away. Did it make you very popular when you took the keys away? Nope. People said mean, hateful things. They accused you of things that just were not true. But it was the best act of love that you could show an individual was not letting them get behind the wheel of a car when they were drunk. Same thing here, folks. Loving people doesn't mean that they have to like what you have to say. Loving people is telling them the truth, regardless of the cost. People get offended. They get hurt. If you think that anybody who's, who's genuinely a Christian would say something to you for the purpose of hurting you, then I'm sorry, you've been hurt way too many times in life. We have to be contenders. Or this church will become like almost every other church in this country. Because I'm telling you something that I know for a fact. Percentage-wise, a super minority of churches are still standing on the truth. Whole denominations changing their policies. I read a story a couple weeks ago where there was a gay uh, Catholic priest and who would have ever thought that the Catholics would get to the point that they would actually let a priest be gay? You know what their point was? Well, they're not supposed to have relationships anyway. One of the... There, there's a couple of different kinds of Presbyterians. One of the Presbyterian uh, organizations in this country have now changed their policy to their preacher can be homosexual as long as they're in a monogamous relationship. I'm not hating on homosexuals, folks. But the Bible's clear. Homosexuality is sin, just like any other sin that's contrary to God's word. If someone has a relationship with Jesus Christ, he will call all of us out of that sin. Some of us are hard-headed. Some of them are harder than others. But folks, he will always call us out of that sin. He will not allow us to justify it. 
So whether we do it for our own peace and our own comfort, withholding the truth carries serious consequences to the individual as well as the church. How much can we give? How far can we go against God's word before it's too far? A millimeter. If one part of God's word becomes unimportant, then how much of God's word really becomes unimportant? All of it. So either it's right or it's wrong. There is no in-between. If we believe it's right, we stand on what's right. If we believe it's wrong, please come see me before you decide to leave. If it's right, we should be preaching it and we should be living it. If you're here today and you never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and you, the Holy Spirit moves you, I'll say again, if the Holy Spirit moves you, you'll know, you'll know that he's moving you. I believe that most, if not all, the people that are in here today are believers. And I know for a fact, because, folks, almost 32 years I've been doing this. It still isn't comfortable. It still isn't comfortable to approach somebody on the street. We get better at it. But there is never total peace in your heart when you're approaching someone and about to tell them that the life that they're living in is leading them straight to hell. And I don't believe that it should be comfortable. But I believe on some level, every one of us who are believers, we've held back. I'm not asking you just to run out and be fundamentalist. Saying things, that, saying things that, that need to be said for the sake of saying them. But I am asking you to start praying about and thinking about how we should start responding to this world. Not because of the things it does. That should surprise any of us. We shouldn't expect the world to act like Christians. But I don't think it's too much to ask for Christians to act like Christians. And in order for Christians to act like Christians, we are going to deal with the people that are around us. And more importantly, we're going to deal with the people around us the way that Jesus Christ wants us to. So I don't know where you're at in your life with all of that. But I know one thing. All of us are somewhere, and none of us are perfect. So pray that the Lord will help you. Pray that the Lord will move you. Because this church the only one I can speak for. I want nothing more than to make sure that there is a barrier of truth around this church that will protect it, that it may always be genuinely known as a church that loves Jesus, that trusts in him, and will stand on the faith that he gave. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. 
We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.